to another episode of the 10 Frame Podcast for Emerging Artists. My name is Kelly Thompson, and you can find me at kellythompsonart.com or on Instagram at kellyktompsonart. I'm Kevin Kirkwood, and you can find me at kevinwillpaint.com or my Instagram handle is kevinwillpaint. I'd like to announce that Kevin and I will be having a two-person show on May the 26th. That's a Friday at the Southern Motors building on Broughton Street in downtown Savannah. That's 402 Broughton Street next to Blix Art Supplies. And it's going to run from Friday, May the 26th through the middle of June. And we hope to see you all there. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today. Today we have Will Penny, um, a Savannah artist. He's also teaching at SCAD. Will, thanks for letting us come by your studio today. It's, it's an honor and pleasure. I appreciate us having the opportunity to see you. Yeah, thanks for coming by. Yeah, we, um, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, we're um, garnering some information for us um, emerging artists. I've seen a lot of your previous work at school and at Laney. Um, can you just give us a, a little bit of a background? I know you're an artist that works with digital media and incorporating that with, with your practice. Um, I don't know enough to, to know how that works. What is that for you? And just a little bit of background on how you merge um, your technology into the artistic practice. Yeah, um, so there's there's a lot there. There's um, kind of a mix of things that I'm working with that have evolved over time in my practice for, for background. Um, I started off as a painter and both of my degrees were in painting. I wanted to be a traditional, conventional painter, like my entire academic career. And that's what brought me to SCAD initially. I was in school in Canada. I grew up there and um, I got kind of stuck when I got into college with not knowing how to paint. And that kept coming up like I I wanted to paint, but didn't know how. And um, I heard about SCAD and came down and spent like a ton of time just trying to master the art of painting. And then once I felt like I had that under my belt, I got kind of restless because I didn't know what to make and started thinking about like what in painting I like, what I'm interested in, what drew me to it. And through grad school and just trying to figure things out, um, the process became kind of open to adding new tools to everything. And that kind of opened up a whole rabbit hole or Pandora's box of like all of these different new technologies that just kind of naturally found their way in, like starting with modeling things on computers, working with Photoshop as a collaging method, starting to looking at like animation or projection or all of these things seem to just kind of stem from what I could do if I put my brushes aside for a minute and started thinking about other ways to approach problems of painting or particular aspects of painting from a different medium. And question for you. So when you were in SCAD, getting your grad degree, were you starting to dive into computers and, and were you, is that where you, when you were beginning to do that mm-hmm. exploration? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it was just, it wasn't really like I want to use technology like as an, as a directive or that being a thing to do. It was just like something that naturally happened through the tools being there and around and working more with a laptop and working more with these software programs because I was sketching and drawing and building, but then all of a sudden it was like, well, why don't you just use a CAD program to model that 
And why is, not use a laser cutter to like just to do like 3D modeling, like the which, same thing you'd use. What's your for, favorite? Like Rhino? Is that where you were at? That's where that's where I started. Right. Is um, I worked um, kind of between industrial design and painting a lot. At least that was what I had access to through school, and so that kind of pushed me towards that method of working. But then I also started spending a lot of time with people working in animation and motion media design. And that opened me up to what I could then do with those models and with those assets and um, everything that kind of has spun out from that. It was like all directions, all the things that you could do. Um, and so now, like ever since it's been a process of like picking up these things and figuring out like how do they, how they fit into what I'm doing and, it's figuring out like the right tool for the job, the right tool with what questions come with that and what that opens. And, you know, it's been kind of a fun way to think about technology, not so much as like technology informing the work, but just mediums and tools emerging that can be a part of the work too. So I want to kind of describe the first kind of interaction that I had with one of your pieces. It's a three dimensional piece that hangs on the wall. It's, very geometric. It has almost, um, I don't know, triangular shapes that kind of extrude from the surface. Uh, and, and then it's got some soft gradients painted on top of it. I'm really fascinated with the idea of kind of taking the digital and making it something, something that acts more like a painting in that instance in particular. I know there was a body of work probably that has some of those similar elements. Um, did that start out as an experiment in the technology or did you envision uh, what it would be after you were done with the digital part of it or how did, how did that come about? Yeah. It, so they were kind of a mix of like a lot of thoughts at the time I was working with making, um, still lifes of sorts that I was photographing and then turning into paintings. But part of the idea was making these still lives that look like non-objective paintings also. They could just be a support for play with light or color or ways that I could still, I was stuck on painting still, like I had to paint these things. And then all of a sudden I realized like, well, I don't, maybe I don't, I wasn't happy enough with photographs, but I got more interested in sculpting and thinking about what if I make these things and start thinking about light play and form and depth in a literal way, but then also still like it's on the wall, it's part of a painting discourse. Um, but it, it kind of emerged out of that where I was like making paper models and building things out of cardboard and chopping up wood with a jigsaw and then realized I could do that stuff on the computer and it sped up the whole process. And the forms that came out of that, I think naturally came out of working in the software programs that were like simple polygons and shapes and surfaces ended up being the most like reducible form I could think of in those software programs. You draw a line, you pull it out, you push the surface, and it made sense to then build those and use them as a support. And spraying the paint across them was what I landed on first that was a way of trying to simulate what could happen with light, but also using the surface as a way to let the painting kind of come out of just what happened on the surface itself. Um, and then the work kind of has evolved in different directions, different series with that same idea, but it was just pushing a surface around and thinking about instead of trying to paint a representation of a surface, what if I actually physically build it out and work from that? And so it was just giving myself an expanded space to work in that wasn't just like picture. So the, the forms that Kelly had described previously, 
Um, can you talk a bit a little bit about the construction of that or how that process looks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've been making things in that kind of fashion for like a long time, like probably about a decade or so now, and they've gone through a lot of iterations where some of the first ones were made out of wood, just like cutting things, stitching them together, and then polishing surfaces with like auto body fillers or different plasters or things like that, just to try to get things clean. And then I started gaining access to different tools like laser cutters and CNC router machines and things that could help me with building them a little more professionally or just different, more advanced fabrication methods. I did mold making and casting of them. The ones that I am still making now are made with um, aluminum sometimes, different like kind of cord plastic aluminum materials. Some of them are carved out of modeling foam. But um, they've gone through a bunch of iterations of me trying to figure out economical ways of making things uh, just in process and then realizing like, oh, there's a better way or a better way or a better way. And that uh, seems to evolve as I get restless because I can't seem to find like the one way to make a thing, even if it's a little bit repetitive. So that's kind of been the process the whole time. But it always starts on the computer, building these models, thinking about if I brought that form to life, what would it look like? and then best fabrication method for the job. So, okay. Is there a project that you were working on that you had access to a certain piece of equipment and you're like, wow, if I'd had that you know, two years oh, yeah. ago, that, you know, this process would have been you know, so much easier. I, that seems to be a recurring theme yeah. of either, uh, it, this isn't just like fabrication of making things, it also is learning what I could have been able to do in the past just through even software that's moving at such a rapid rate like as I'm animating or building I, I look at what my computer can do that it couldn't do five years ago it's like that was so so crazy like how things move quickly and then like so in five years it'll be will in the metaverse you won't have to worry about cutting or just, making a mess you can just go into that it, it all just makes itself or uh, assembles itself or, or something. The robots help in some way, but <laughs> oh yeah, there's, there's definitely like, it's, it's all like a learning curve. I think in part, like if there's room for there to be some failure in the learning curve and some things to add to what's next in the work, then that's kind of a nice part of it. Um, but sometimes it is just trying to think about refining something to make it easier on yourself to free up time to think about other things or do other work. So, well, that's, Hopefully what technology, one of its big assets is, right? Make your yeah. job a little bit easier. And But then again, there's probably a, something else in you that's like, yeah, what if I push it a little bit? And see mm-hmm. what happens when I yeah. I think know, use it for something that wasn't made to do. Yeah. Well, like software the wrong way, like if you get proficient with something and then figure out how to dismantle it, is just as interesting as any other traditional medium. Like if I take Photoshop and do what I'm not supposed to do with it, what do I end up with? And I, I like that aspect of it because what I usually teach in software is like very like proficiency driven, like you must do this and do this. And, and we get to the point of how to use it correctly. But then in the studio, I'm trying to like, like flip it upside down and figure out, well, cause that, that's not my background. Like in any of these programs, I didn't go to school for anything software related. I just picked these things up and watched YouTube videos right. and lynda.com. And then it's like, all right, I need it for this. I do that and then it's like, okay, what, what if I put on some music and see if I get weird with this, like what happens? And that's to me where the most interesting work has come out of, of just like fiddling around to see what comes. 
So what what are you currently working on that's fun, that's just you're into, you're tapped into, and it's really exciting for you right now? It's It's been a challenge to kind of... Uh, get back into a rhythm post COVID just because I was really enthusiastic about a lot of projects I was working on, on the computer. And then that kind of got beaten out of me just through where I was teaching and work. Like I was like 14 days at a computer for a long time and it sucked a lot of that energy out of it for me where the idea I was starting to work with like a lot of computer programming languages and interactivity and finding these new things. But now it's just, really like scripts yeah yeah like things because i didn't have a background in that either like okay. trying to figure out how i could write different programs or build things that could be a bit more interactive with you know users or projections or all sensors and things and um i had some ideas for things that were like i really want to do this and if i learn these skills then i could bring it to life but uh it's been a challenge i think to be enthusiastic to me about working in that space like Things that have happened with um, NFTs and AI and the metaverse and like it's it's interesting, but I've wanted to get some space from a lot of that just because I, I don't want to be somebody that's just like jumping on these technological trends because I've never been interested in that. In the when people like send me things, they're like, "Oh, you really like this?" And like, eh, I don't know, I kind of want to just go rake some leaves instead for a while. Like, well, speaking of that. Um, since I, I use a lot of technology in my work, as I mentioned, I'm sure you saw the um, New York Times article that came out about the uh, the Bing chat. Yeah. Talking about, you know, if, if you're trying to run away from it, it's following you. Mm -hmm. It's going to it's gonna invade your space at some point. I mean, it's a little frightening. Yeah, like there's, I, I like at the moment observing and trying to process, like, for me and my work, it's never been like jump on a thing or be ahead of like a line of something. I just am trying to figure out how I can use these things. And sometimes I'm like lagging behind the way someone might be using like 3D printing or some new technology. Like just because it's trending is not any interest for me in the like grab it and be like, yeah, I should use this. It's like if I can think of a reason to use it. Like I was really, really stuck on NFTs for a long time because it just didn't feel correct to me, even though like I was like, I could use this in so many ways. I just kept doing research and looking and I was like, something seemed like it doesn't fit with what I want to do. And it evolved in a way that didn't fit for me. And so sometimes I think I need some time to like, not just thrust my work into technology because it's moving so fast and I'm measuring a lot now of like what to be involved with. And coming out of all of that, like what I'm doing now is like sitting in an easel and painting slow because I haven't done that in a long time and I just needed some breathing room to make something and have it not be machine made fast or computer made fast to try to, I think, get some meditation space to like think on, you know, bigger things about where the work is going, what it could do, like how much time I want to be at a computer. So I'm trying to process, I think, when a lot of those now. When you're painting, are you painting from memory or are you using still lifes like in your previous work or are you it's, just kind of just jump running into it oddly enough now it's still lifes from work that i was doing in the last couple of years just at the computer so making these like really fast 3d scenes have these ways of like modeling and animating that are just like you can do it like in a night and go do, do, do. and i did like um like an everyday's kind of project for an exhibition uh over the pandemic and i'm trying to go back through some of that work that was made really fast to slow down and think about it a bit more and unpack some of the things from it. 
So that's what I'm painting from is it's on a screen from the computer and I'm sitting there and getting out my old little baby brushes and trying to get back to where I started, I think, with painting just to go back through a few rhythms and maybe a reset or something to to think about it again, because I felt like I've been able to make probably too much work too fast in the last few years just for sake of putting it out there. And I've wanted to do some things just to like slow down and not focus so much on making more work for more work's sake, but like thinking about the work that I'm making a bit more just deliberately. So we like to um, ask about your studio practice. Um, I know a disciplined practice is something that I've found very helpful for myself. I set parameters. Tell us about your studio practice. Must be a little bit um, tough juggling with school schedule and all that, but do you have a set time? Do you come in you know, early in the morning? Do you come in at night? What's, what's that look like? Yeah, for, so for a long time, it's been uh, nights and weekends like in the studio and of course like our breaks at school, which are great with SCAD. We have long winter and summer breaks, so there's lots of time to kind of focus and work on things there. But that's, that's the usual routine that I abided by for like a long, long time of just get off school, come home, eat something, get in the studio. And it used to be in another location and I have to drive there and I just post up for the night and work for like six hours or go home, go to sleep. And that was life. And that also felt like I was getting in like a loop of, of like working a lot and trying to figure out, well, you know, when does the work feel like it's over or when do you have space or I wasn't traveling as much as I wanted to. And I've tried to carve out more time in the last year for that too, of like being out and working. And it's, it's like always a negotiation. Um, so I'm getting back into trying to like regularly work in the evenings and work on weekends, but also try to manage making time for other things too. Like raking the leaves. Like raking the leaves. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, I like, I, I, it's, it's always a, a juggle, but like, I have no trouble with working myself too much and staying up late and getting excited about things. Um, but I think I was like trained early on to just like survive with very little sleep and just like work, 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 work. And if you're excited about something, then it doesn't feel like work. But when you get to those like weird zones where it's like execution of something or like a commission that's not fun, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it turns into a job. Yeah. 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 Well, as long as you're good at self-regulating and knowing when you've hit that point, I mean, I know if I'm in the studio, I can tell that the energy has been sucked out of me. I'm just like, nope, turn the lights off, go home. I know it's, you know, tomorrow it's going to be a little bit better for being productive. So you were talking about, uh, studio practice I'm looking at computers and I know that's a major part of your practice can you talk about maybe software that you're using or maybe the size the type of computers it looks like it's PC based Mm -hmm. and just give us a little slice of that yeah so I my kind of engagement with computers has grown over time just out of same like necessity for using these things and having to learn like how to build a computer or what the components were. Like I had no interest in that stuff way back when I was in school. It was just like you know, Photoshop, grab it, try it. Like I had a really sad old laptop for the longest time and um, it just did what was needed. And to free up the ability to be able to work quickly or to be able to render things or do like 
even in my time, like I started off with 3D animation and I used to have to go to a particular building at SCAD and like upload my files manually and render them overnight to get them back to do like videos. And now I can sit here and like do these super advanced things on my computer in minutes. And so I've kind of built around that. And it's been really cool to see like how fast you can do something. But then again, that like puts me in that boat. It's like, yeah, slow down a little bit. So I, I work a lot with a, a program called Cinema 4D that's for 3D animation. And uh, I used to work in Maya that was like a big, big 3D program, but it was like more, you know, horsepower than I needed for what I was doing. And I just, it's kind of like working in a, a 3D space or like a physical studio space where you don't have rules, like physics goes out the window. And I like that bit of it, like you can take things and bend them and break them and stretch them or manipulate them in ways that I normally like couldn't take a piece of clay and do you know that particular thing to it. And then I can light them and texture them and see how they look in a way that opens up all the possibilities of just experimenting with like how does something look. And then even animating or trying to create interactivity out of those things is like a next level of what happens if you go boop and like push something or move it around. And so those questions are like, following breadcrumbs of what the software leads to has been fun to figure out. And now taking those things, like I have folders of all this content and some of it goes into projections sometimes where it might be mixing all of that or might be fodder to make like some new work or to make a picture or uh, design something to be carved. And it's, it's all just like floating there as it feels like samples, like mixing music or something. Like I have all these chords and notes and pieces that I can string together and they're just all coming out of different states and headspaces and times in my life that are things I can look at and then try to process, like, what do I do with this now? In that, do you have a project that comes to you and then you work specifically for that um, scenario, whether it's a projection or an installation, or do you make these components and then once you get a project or a commission and then go, you go back to those um, buckets or whatever and, and in your mind you're thinking, oh, I know I can start here or use that or do you just start fresh on every you know, new project that comes in? It's, it's a bit of both. So there's stuff that's like left over from maybe the incentive to make something was like for a presentation somewhere or for an exhibition opportunity or even a commission. And that just becomes something like in there in the work that's accessible because it's easy to recycle digital stuff and just turn it back over. Um, and then a lot of it comes from experimentation in the off times, like in the in-between where I don't have a project or something going on. Like I need to set my own goals and deadlines to make something. And that weird stuff is usually what is totally free and open to me. And that's usually what I'm trying to push back into other like exhibitions or opportunities. Like I've got all these weird things that I made on my own free time and have to show like somebody like, can we use this? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe we can do something with this. And so it, it go, like, goes in phases where all of it's just depending on what's happening. Um, but all of it comes from kind of different times. And I think it, some of it reflects like different attitudes, like even a lot of the stuff I was making just before COVID happened is a very different look of things that I see like in the scope of my work than what happened during what's happened after. And even what was happening before, like I can, I can see my own like attitude reflected over time of like, 
that was not a fun year in the work that I made in that I year. Don't go into the COVID bucket. Yeah. You, don't want, you don't want to pull that one. I, I like, even, even like it may have been like a year of commissions that it like were not the most fun commissions. And I look back at like those commissions and like, yeah, like they're done. But like, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I could do without, you know, this, I'd learned some things. So that's, I mean, it, it's kind of like doing an experiment paint i mean it, there's no difference but throwing a bunch of paint around and you got canvases all over the place and you know you know sometimes two-thirds of them are going to either get scratched or started over or, but you may use a piece of one and you know it's just in a digital format yeah well it's it's good to live with stuff for a while and that's i think it's easy to forget that when we have the computers and social media and we were forced to like put stuff out super quick or even like in process just to for sharing sake or to have it out there as content but the idea of like having something that like gathers dust somewhere for a while and you bring it out like a few months later and look at it and think about it a little harder like it may age well or not or maybe you realize like actually i'd like to change like i'm pretty bad at not taking old works that i have and just like scrapping them and rebuilding them again or repainting something because if i have it around too long i get restless and i might be like i'm gonna paint that thing over there a totally different Jump color right in and start painting yeah because I, I like i'll look at it for a while and i'll get bored with it and then think like what's next and so if i have my own work around too much then i start thinking like i can make that better do you store your do you have like an inventory of work that is yet to be sold or displayed somewhere a, a lot of um the inventory i have is with laney contemporary here okay. in savannah and the studio there's some stuff but I, I try not to keep like too much of it around and usually like things get made for like an exhibition or an opportunity and then they go out the door and I hope they don't come back but because it's <laughs> storing artwork is a challenge uh, especially in this climate in Savannah with humidity and you know all, so uh, it's nice to have things out in the world and out there but I'm, I usually am trying to think like that's part of the like economy of getting your work out there too is like where does it go and you know where does it live and we hope we don't have too much to store. I wanted to um, back up a little bit and just kind of a little bit of a um, timeline after you got through the MFA program. What was your path, not to where you are now, we don't have to turn over all the rocks, but if you're giving someone a little bit of advice that's just getting out of uh, the program, you know, what, what did that path look like for you? And if you were going to talk to somebody that's doing it now, what would you advise that they do to get to the next level? Yeah. Um, it, there's a lot of variables in there to me that I've thought back on in the last like few years, quite a bit about trying to think about aspirations versus goal setting specifically for me has been a big one because I was like very, very goal oriented in school. Like if I do dot, 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 then maybe in five years I can be here or if I do this, like short-term, long-term goals, like it just was the attitude I adopted about thinking about my work and thinking about success and thinking about where I wanted to go. But I had a really tough time with that after school of like adapting to thinking about what to keep and what to let go and how to stay motivated. And so I think trying to be open and not try to design so much of one's own future, but leaving room for things to open and to happen and to grow. It would be good just for anybody's studio practice to like leave space, which is tricky because it feels like more and more and more all the time, like we have to generate content and make things like stylistically cohesive or try to 
package ourselves up to put our work out there in the world in a particular fashion, even if it's digital or ephemeral or performance or, you know, you're selling work or using a traditional market. Like it's, it's a challenge to think about where you have the space, I think, to do not what you want to do, but to leave room for what you could do. And uh, I'm still trying to figure that out as an equation within like certain economies or you know, support systems, grants, residencies, selling your work. Like it's a lot of pressure. And I think trying to take some of that pressure off of ourselves to enjoy what we're doing and challenge ourselves and not let all of the other like peripheral factors, like really like your overhead or paying the bills or you know, getting to X, Y, Z, like just trying to work. Right? Yeah. Make the work that you enjoy doing for yourself. Yeah. And it, and, and I know it seems like simple to like say, like to break it down to like, think about your work in that way. Like that should be a given. Right. But it's so difficult. I think to shut out all the noise of like the pressures and to try to be able to, to keep those at bay, but keep enthusiastic about your work and keep things moving forward and be, you know, excited about what's coming, not expectant of what's coming, but looking forward to where things will go. So the the benchmark for a lot of painting students is gallery representation. And I know that's not for everyone. What did that look like for you? Was it, was it um, something that you specifically sought? Um, did it come quickly? How did that, how did that work for you? So when, um, when I was finishing school, I was actively thinking about trying to connect just on a human level with people to meet people and go out there in the world and craft that like right place, right time kind of formula, right? Like you go out and you meet people and you put your work out there. Cause it didn't feel like there was an opportunity to really have like a presence online and have your work seen in that regard at the time it was starting to go that way, but not, not at all yet. And, um, we're talking like we're talking like twenty four thirteen or something like that, yeah. right? Yeah. So we were like, we got Facebook, and that's pretty big, but yeah. like, and the Instagram was there, but like the idea of like, you know, you just had a website, and that's where your work existed, and you still had to know somebody or meet somebody, or ideally, you were in geographically the place you needed to be to get your work out there. And I, I came back to Savannah. I knew that would put me into a disadvantage of staying to live in Savannah and not being connected to bigger networks and other places. So I tried to go out as much as I could, like down to the art fairs and go to other cities and connect as much as I could to meet other people, to expand my network and try to generate opportunities. And group shows started happening and I, I tried to kind of put my work out to opportunities whenever they popped up. And uh, I was starting to sell some work through different channels, through a couple different galleries and a couple of them eventually started offering exhibitions. And so I'd kind of build the work towards those. And then over time, I kind of like some of those started slowing down and I started working more specifically with galleries that, you know, I had a good relationship with and that uh, we had good lines of communication and I trusted them. And I think trying to whittle down like who was a good partnership over time was something that I was learning because it's easy to get, I think, steamrolled or, you know, hustled or have someone do things with your work that you don't intend or, you know, your contract goes in a weird way. And that's a learning curve too, of, uh, finding out how you can work with good partnerships. Cause it is totally a partnership. Like, you know, it's not just that the gallery is selling your work and making, you know, 50% they're involved in so much of your, uh, promotion and your work and its place in the world that I think it's, 
tricky to find the right fit there. But if you can find it, you know. Did you learn that the hard way? I mean, are, I'm sure I'm in a place now. Or was where, it luck? Did you just find yourself in the position that peop, you were in the right spot? And it was yeah. like, thankfully, I'm in the right spot. Yeah. I'm actually specifically talking about the business side of things. Uh, we're talking contracts and you know, meeting with curators and that thing right now. Did you have to go through a couple of bad experiences? You're in school, right? In yeah, the class, right? Yeah, to get to, uh, you know what, um, you know, good percentages are, you know, you know, exclusivity contracts are and that kind of thing. Yeah, like it, it certainly wasn't something that I felt completely prepared for coming out of school. Like we covered a lot of the basics of like professional practices and even like the idea of like doing one's taxes in an effective way was like, we were told like, you can write stuff off and it was like okay cool like I'll, I'll file my taxes and write stuff off but the nuance of what could be done or the idea of how to run things as a as a business like what really was stuff that would help you out that would save you money that would ensure uh, sustainability out of your studio practice like thinking about it as a business but also trying not too hard to think about it as a business so that you're not you know again taking away that space to, to make your work and let it be open. But working with galleries, like I, there were definitely some experiences that were like, Oh, like that, you know, I learned from that and, you know, artwork damaged in shipping or like realizing like that contract wasn't going to go the way it was written up. And like, where, you know, do you fight those things or just go with it? Or even on commissions, especially like learning, like, like that was an interesting challenge or that was like something that, happened and then figuring out like from there where you draw your tolerances or how you carry yourself to put up enough safeguards with your work but also to leave opportunities because I was like a super super yes person like early on it's like yes just yes, yes, yes. like all this stuff and then I realized like oh no like this is burning me out or <laughs> like this is I need to be more careful with just slowing down and thinking about what I'm signing up for who it's with where it's Long-term. going long-term commitments basically. yeah yeah i was like super hungry out of grad school to like make money and like sell my work and was like taking on a lot of stuff that was like yeah and in hindsight looking at some of those things it was like you know me now i'd probably be like i can i can get by without that i'll, I'll figure something out like i think over. that's that's good advice um every student coming out of art school is hungry you know the idea of making money doing something that you love to do i mean that's that's a dream um, career for anyone. Yeah, I would think um, it's really hard to say no because you you think like you it's hard to see it. And even if someone's like, yeah, you know, maybe I had a bad experience with them, you still might think like, yeah, you know, that was just them. Like yeah. maybe the next time will be okay. Yeah, and, and you go with your gut. It, I think it takes some time to like figure it's, it's like even like finding a good mechanic, you know, like you, you don't, you get good reviews online you go and it's like, Oh, I, I, you know, and so like, I think that's part of the process and you, I think that can be passed on through experience, but I also had a lot of really good advice from people ahead of me that I totally ignored because I'm stubborn and was like, yeah, I, I'll figure it out. Like I, that's cool. But and that was on me. Like, I can't blame anybody for that because I had to find out the hard way with a few things that were like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to prove you wrong and go out and do it my own way. And then it's like, oh yeah, they think exactly what they meant. Well, so. That's sometimes the best way to learn because you remember then mm -hmm. it's on you. I had a couple of 
um, specific things that I wanted to talk to you about directly related to some of the work that you have, at least it's an archive that I've seen. Um, this is a personal thing because I am attracted to some of these, these ideas. You had a, some bodies of work that I think it had this kind of this grid. It's like a, a positive negative grid work where you have a white grid on a, on a black background. And um, a couple of the names were Mothman. Mm-hmm. and the Jersey Devil, and, you know, they were related in some way to, you know, the supernatural or the mystical. Is that a thread, or was that just a, a, a rabbit hole that you went down? Um, talk about that it, in your work. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple things there. So some of this work in the last couple of years, I've circled back on some of the things that I was interested in when I was a kid, and one of the things I thought about a lot is my own influences from like fantasy art and playing video games. And like, I, I think I'd learned how to draw by like trying to recreate uh, magic, the gathering cards. Like I'd look at the illustrations and I'd like sit there and try to draw them. And like, that was my education in learning how to draw was ripping off magic cards. And so there's all your collaboration with uh, the Starland alchemy. Yeah, those, mm-hmm. those were tarot cards, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was working on like a tarot cool. card project. Yeah, so super awesome. this this always like at a similar time, like thinking back on these like weird things. And I also was working digitally, pulling like these models from um, these websites where it's a marketplace where people design characters for RPG games, and you can like three D print the characters and then paint them and like put them into your own game boards. And I I don't play any of those games, but I saw this and thought like this is a really interesting economy itself of like people making things and then selling copies of them as something for people to use. And I, I wanted to use them in my own way too. So I started buying them and putting them into some of these scenarios and they became, you know, a character or an avatar that didn't have a story that was just a general like monster or like maybe they did have a name, like all the names of those paintings were the names that the character came with from the seller. So I didn't, that was what they were assigned. And some of them, like a big, uh, Jersey Devil. Well, I so on so on top of that, so I am a huge huge fan of folklore, and I like listen to like a ton of podcasts on like uh, all like any kind of scary stories, like ghosts, aliens, paranormal, Sasquatch. Like, what's a good one? What's a good podcast? I I've listened to the I think the lore podcast is one of my all time lore podcasts. Yeah. So like I um it's my favorite. I drive uh up to Canada a lot, so I take like road trips to home and back, and like they're like a twenty two hour drive. So I'm listening to like these like spooky stories in the middle of the night, like driving down the highway. They're perfect because it's like just enough to like keep you awake, awake and excited. And so like I love that kind of concept, but also like. I grew up like terrified of like aliens and what was out in the dark. And so at a certain point in my life, I tried to like reconfront like why I was scared of those things. And it became like a big part of my internal makeup of like my own pride of getting through that stuff by like watching the X-Files and like embracing alien movies and all these things that used to terrify me. And so now that's like the kind of stuff like I listen to like when I'm painting or working, like I'll be listening to like Star Trek or the X-Files or like anything kind of like that's in science fiction or spooky or weird or podcasts in relation. That's usually the stuff I go to. Um, so circling like back on that is subject matter is something that wasn't in my work for a long, long time. Cause I was looking more at like painting, but now I'm looking more, uh, biographically at the stuff that I think just somehow comes out of it. Like it might be looking more closely at the music that I listen to 
or you know the movies that I'll put on repeat or like anything that is like why is that particular thing like you know I grew up with reading like and watching the Lord of the Rings movies so like wizards and dragons and weird like there's space for that in my head that's not going away and it finds its way out into the work I think just by letting it spill out that's okay. one of the things that was really intriguing looking at your at some of the more recent work that you've done that intersection of the I mean it's got a very geometric look to it and a very gridded um, structure that mixed with the mystical or the supernatural I think is a, is a really nice contrast I think it, it, it's worked really well it's it's new it's like kind of fun new territory for me because it's something that's things to try to process and figure out like symbolically narratively like psychologically for me or even in like why the idea of having these starting points that I'm not sure about why it's going in there is to me like the most rewarding thing to engage with because then I can look at it for a while and think about why are you putting this I think I just started putting that stuff in there one day I was like you know I should think about like where this is coming from you're doing your own therapy yeah just lay on the desk and talk to yourself yeah it's, it's, that's I, I've tried it doesn't work for me but through through the work right like catharsis and unpacking of many things I'm hoping absolutely what kind of music are you listening to um it's so I've got like playlists on playlists that I'm like kind of I try to let Spotify do a lot of the work for me to help me find new stuff because it's such a chore to try to find new music like I I try to set like radio stations off of what I might normally listen to to open up things because I try like a lot of the new music playlists and get stuck and like I don't like that I don't like that it's a, um but I I top what's your favorite like your go-to band in general um I think the tragically hip no I uh <laughs> I nobody knows on that. a certain on a certain day you're could, probably like one of the only people I think in Savannah that would know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I go there like that's so I have like some playlists. So like, I'll go back to like throwback 90s stuff. That's like, feel yeah. good. Like that's where like I'm raking the leaves. It's like listening to like, I got some like dad jams, like put on some new bounces <laughs> and like grill put, and listen to like, put some, your sandals and your white socks on. Oh yeah. Walk outside. Yeah. Uh, so like when I'm working though, like when I'm putting on music, if it's not like podcasts or like TV shows in the background, it's usually like, kind of a little crazier like i'll listen to like i like um kind of like post-genre music that maybe like mashups of like heavy metal and k-pop or like you know something like weird experimental stuff because that like it's it's level or like intensity is enough to like kind of it's kind of like listening to spooky stories like it's like a little dose of caffeine of like something that's like i don't know something about this so um sophie was one of my um favorite producers and DJs um she died like a couple of years ago but like I put like her uh old recordings like on pretty frequently she's like kind of in the realm with like Grimes and like Charlie XCX and like some different kind of like uh more like the techno alts like indie uh electronic side of things but it like I might listen to like Dolly Parton for a few days just as much as I'll listen to like you know something like totally out there and then it just I'll shift gears. I have like a whole lot of playlists of a lot of soundtracks because at school, like that's what I'll play as we're working in studio. So I have like hours and hours of like movie scores. And sometimes I get into that at home, but usually like I'll play like just movies in the background. And your students are like, Oh, not the Godfather again. Oh yeah. They've got, I have, it's, it's like, I kind of like, I, I like watch people like hear these 
familiar songs like as we work and I think it like triggers something that's just like an alertness it's like what is that I'm like I'm not going to give it away we got to think about it for a second and mm-hmm. so but it's it's good to have a nice a, a nice mix of that so speaking of um inspirations and influences are, is there are there any artists that you're looking at right now that you're that intrigue you bring up you know interesting ideas in your head the one I was thinking of and I know Kevin and I have talked about him as um Rafik Anadol. Mm. Um, I saw a piece of his when I was in Florence this summer, and I'd never seen it before. And I know you had. Um, I know that that you know sparks to me a little bit of a connection with some of the work that I've seen of yours, but not him specifically. Are there any other that you're? Doesn't have to be local that you're yeah, looking it, at now. He's he's definitely like somebody that I. Um, send out to a lot of people for like generative art and looking at building off of like code and programming because there's some people out there that are doing some really amazing things with the idea of projection and interactivity and big displays and working on things that can exist uh, digitally and kind of grow. It's a really, really interesting concept. Um, Ian Chang is one of my like favorites in the last maybe like decade who did a really cool project that's uh, AI driven and it's like a work that's kind of like a video game that evolves over time and you just have kind of a viewport into it is how it would be displayed in a gallery. But it, it's like this game that plays itself through AI characteristics. So it's kind of like setting like background characters or like just letting things run naturally based on how you set up what's meant to happen in it. And that idea to me was so nice as like a work that is doing something using AI, but not in this kind of weird discussion that we're having a lot about learning in the same regard of like pulling from the internet or just setting the conditions and letting it happen. So it's in machine like a, learning, but it's doing it by interacting with its own code. Yeah, it's con- it's contained. It's like building like a little ecosystem of sorts where like, you know, you set up a greenhouse and you see what happens if you just leave it and give it all the right stuff. And seeing like how people can, and and I don't think like his work has come up a ton in the discussion of AI, even though I think it's one of like the most beautiful uses of it, because the current discussion is mostly just about doom and gloom. Yeah, like where where it's heading with like info access or like um, you know like how we won't have space to like think because all of this will be suggested algorithms, artist work being ripped off. it spins into like these negative discussions so quickly. And when people have a chance to use these tools and I think use them to create something that's more interesting than its intended function is because I was thinking a lot at that time about video games specifically, like as a medium and relating that back to, because a lot of the technology that is out there for crafting interactivity revolves around game engines and it's like finding its way into film and high end like 4d production and, all of that's kind of together as tools, but they're so specialized that you have to really like jump in if you want to try to connect those. And I think it's tricky to figure out how it situates itself into the context of art, into galleries, into museums. It was excellent for figuring out like ways to build NFTs or things that could float around online, but those things just ended up being like little blips of things. They weren't like larger projects that could evolve. And so I think room for where that stuff can grow any there's a lot of people doing that online that i think um maybe aren't being recognized so much in art spheres because their work just doesn't really fit into that box 
and there's you know a lot of people with net art and web art um Jonathan Monahan is somebody that I really appreciate right now too, who's doing a lot of interesting work just with uh, animation and situating these more like contemporary animations that are using all these found parts and components and pieces, stuff you get off uh, TurboSquid or these different uh, kind of like repositories for 3D models and just turning them into things. And you can see in the work that he's like trying to negotiate his visual history and like the language of painting and sculpture and all of these different kind of parts to consider with uh, the context of where it's going and his work's being shown in galleries and shown in museums and it seems to fit it's like a logical evolution but it's using these new tools and so it seems fresh to me to look at how some people can adapt but then you know it doesn't have to fit in those boxes so I think there's a lot of possibility like it could just be someone making something in their garage and maybe they don't have a venue to put it. It may end up at a music festival or it may end up in, you know, it may end up being a part of something that informs how a future iPhone works or I don't know. Uh, but I think there's lots of cool spaces right now emerging, even with the speed of everything going like, where do you see yourself in a couple of years or what's on the horizons? Um, I'm trying to carve out more studio time because I just want to be in the studio more and slow down and have, you know, quiet time to kind of work for a while and see what comes out of that. So that's mostly kind of a short term, but I'm hoping in the next couple of years to look at maybe doing a bit more travel with like grants and residencies and trying to think about research coming a bit more kind of back into my process than just like churning out work for sake of putting it out there. So I almost kind of like want to go back to the headspace I was in when I was in grad school where it didn't feel like there was any pressure to like make a particular type of work or to satisfy a market that it was just like the objective every day is to break things apart and then figure out how they work and see what comes out of that. And I've been chasing that in the studio for a long time to figure out how do I carve out that freedom for myself creatively. I know that, I mean, most painters are aware of the residencies that are available or opportunities in that world, but are there, I'm aware of Autodesk having a residency in San Francisco on the pier. Is, are there, is there, are you thinking digital residencies or? I'm I'm kind of looking at all of it like yeah. it's like because I would just as much like to be uh, taking a, a travel easel and going out in some fields and just painting some haystacks for a while as much as I'd like to go to Microsoft and like right. work in some back room with like some techs who are developing something amazing like I'm I'm torn between universes of where you know how I can fit these things together in a way that's not just like well I go out and like 3D scan you know some landscapes but I want to I want to figure out how for me that fits together because I think I'm reassessing like whether I'm at the computer or need to bide my time or split time between different types of practices I think that's important and I'm saying that because in architecture you have the school of people that were you have the school of people that were drawing drafting by hand and then when I came into play was transitioning from AutoCAD into Revit and that was like a a world you know that was the unknown and um, I think that it was 
what my the people ahead of me were telling me you know you need to draw you need to draw with your hand you need to, need to be able to com- communicate with your your drawings and sketches quickly and i never got it when i was you know out of school and even like the first part of profession my professional career um but i'm glad that i always painted i always uh, my head was in revit and a little bit of maya but I don't know. It's good to hear somebody else, one of my peers, saying, oh, yeah, it's special. You need to live in both worlds, you know? Yeah. Well, I, even the idea, like, of starting with proficiency, like, the idea... Like, I spent a lot of time trying to learn how to paint technically sound, and I kind of just tossed them away for yeah. a long time. And I, I had a lot to figure out for myself with, like, my... Like, I was holding on to painting as I... I've invested all this time in learning how to paint technically proficiently well and I want to paint but I really didn't know what I was supposed to do with it and I had to let that go to move on to the next thing and I'm keep trying to let certain things go to move on to the next thing and maybe it circles back maybe it cycles back but all of it feels like it's cumulative and even if you're not like I don't know I I pick up like hobbies a lot too like I'll do something for a couple years and then move on to the next and then like uh, you know I'm gonna play competitive darts for a few years and then go on to play disc golf or you do I don't know who knows what maybe I'll be climbing trees next year but like all of that stuff is just like I think my restlessness restlessness in life as much as restlessness in the studio to like head towards uh, having new problems to solve or questions to ask or so I, yeah, Corbu Corbusier taught me. It was like not him personally, but a class that I took in undergraduate. That all of the tools that you have in your toolbox, they're informing the next one. So your drawing mm-hmm. is informing your painting, and your painting is informing the buildings that you're designing, and it's all, you know, a mixed bag. It's not a mixed bag. It's all influ- informing each other. Yeah, so. I mean, I I love that. It's definitely like experiences, you yeah. know things that you've seen where you've been who you've worked with like I I'm also this is like kind of new for me being in my own studio space just by myself has been a minute because like after grad school I worked in a shared space with several people for years and it we had our own kind of spaces within it and but there was always like quite a bit of collaboration and discussion and connection between everybody's work and that was amazing for a time like working alongside other people it's kind of like you know having studio mates in grad school same thing like you have the chance to talk and to work through ideas or to problem solve together and now this like quiet space of being in you know a bubble of being back in the studio just uh by myself is is interesting because i have to confront i think some new things that i haven't thought about in that weird vacuum for a while that's one of the considerations that a lot of us have we have a pretty tight-knit group of, of graduate students that go to each other's studios. We get feedback, but, you know, we'll, we're pretty honest about, you know, what's working, what's not working. And one of the daunting things about being close to, you know, finishing the thesis is not having that um, community, um, the feedback. And it sounds like you had that pretty much moving forward. Did you seek that out specifically so you could kind of keep your community or did it just happen that you were in a communal space? I, I think it happened more organically just out of necessity because when I was in grad school, I, I never really worked in the studio that I had at SCAD because I was working with like chemicals and doing a lot of stuff. And um, it, the little 
box with like shared airspace like it seemed irresponsible to do like get out on your gas mask yeah so i in the studio so like when i when i moved back to savannah i rented um a a place that had it was a carriage house that had a garage underneath and it was in like not a great neighborhood but like it had space and then it's like this is the rent is good and i've got like this 800 square foot garage like under the house and that was just like i rented that place for the garage and that's where I worked and I had room to like put in a little wood shop and set everything up. And, um, also I could have my friends over, like at that time, like they were in the same boat. It was like, we'll come over and, you know, work with me and we'll, you know, order some food. And, um, you know, we just kind of would work like late into the night. And so I think like having that space, I was able to foster working with a lot of people. And then through grad school, um, some other friends ended up with access to a space. Michael Porton um, had access to a big warehouse that several of us ended up kind of following him over to and working there. And we kind of stuck together. We lucked out and had this really big warehouse to kind of share together. We eventually got kicked out of it and moved on to another space and then moved on to another space. And we just kind of all, I think it made sense to pool resources because none of us, I think on our own at that time could like afford to, have that overhead and we were sharing tools and techniques and equipment and uh i think it worked really well for a long time to be able to kind of work together and then i think people kind of started carving out their own spaces over time that just seemed to happen naturally too it wasn't like we don't want to keep working in the same same space it was like i'm working here now because i bought a house and had a garage and was like i'm going to convert that into the studio that i really want to work through and um so it, it often has seemed like it was just like necessity of like what was there and available. And Savannah is something that keeps like changing with what I think artists have had access to as well. Because back when I was in grad school, like you could get a commercial space pretty cheaply. Like you could run your own shows and rent a space. And there was more room, I think, to, to do stuff to kind of take it under your own control. And now like we do have a lot of places that are offering studio spaces to rent, but I'd still probably get kind of restless in a lot of those because I would need to like spread out more. And I would opt for like living in a tent in the backyard to have a good studio space is what I would prioritize in life or just stay in the studio. And so, but that stuff is like disappearing very rapidly here because of all the growth. It's like trying to find a commercial property to rent is so difficult now. Even if you do have like a team of people and so I feel like even like I've heard stories from friends of people that had like uh, entire buildings on like Broughton Street, like back in the day, you know, when they were renting studios and like things, you know, there was there was a time where I think because of Savannah's slow growth, where there was more room to have your own practice, not as much attention, not as much opportunities, but more places to kind of like build. Um, and I see those becoming like harder to to come by but more organizations coming through that are helping accommodate that and make sure that we can still like meet uh available space for artists with the growth of savannah was that part of your decision making process um staying in savannah um as opposed to going to a bigger metropolitan area like miami or new york or la yeah yeah so I, I was looking at a couple of things and there was like, I, I left Savannah and I went to live, I lived in New York and Toronto for a while and tried out like working in different cities. And I really missed Savannah and thought like, well, I really want to go back. And so that was part of the reason I came back for grad school. 
because I just felt very comfortable working here. I knew I could juggle having multiple jobs and I aspired to work with the university and get a job teaching at SCAD after school. And that was part of my designs was knowing that I could work with SCAD and alongside SCAD and they'd support my studio practice. And that was part of the reason of coming back and seeing opportunity in Savannah too, where like you could drive anywhere and park anywhere within like 15 minutes. And uh, it was low overhead to have a studio. And like, I was looking at friends that were moving to like New York and LA and looking at what they were paying just for their rent and thinking like, I don't know, I'm supposed to like have a studio and do all that. Um, so it just, it made like some sense, uh, financially, economically, but I also, I'm, uh, still an immigrant from Canada and pursuing sponsorship to legally be here was part of the reason to also like work with SCAD too. It's like they would help me with, um, securing immigration status so that I could still keep. So I've always had to have a job since graduating just to get through, um, immigration hurdles was teaching always kind of on your radar um, mm -hmm. and if so how does that inform your practice or or you know what do you pull from that to kind of bring back to your studio yeah it's so I've I've taught in several departments now over time and I, I keep learning a lot of new things some of it is methodology some of it is just thinking about different aspects of my practice through having to deliver you know thoughts on work in general or thinking about different creative processes. Now I work with students from every major. And so I get a lot of insights, I think, into places that my brain normally wouldn't go about certain fields of study or different industries that I don't really pay that close attention to. That's kind of interesting to see what I can kind of learn from what's happening in different fields and what a lot of young creative people are interested in doing and where they want to go. But it's, I, I, in teaching in different capacities, like trying to work through some ideas of what I might be trying to articulate through having to relate to somebody else is a good practice. I used to dread that kind of stuff before of thinking about like public speaking or you never know when that podcast is going to come by and you got to be able to articulate your, right. your ideas. This is, this is and like, you can teach the podcasters how to do it. It's well, it's, it's practice, right? Like I, I used to like, I would tell myself when I was in school, like I chose art because I didn't want to talk and I didn't have the right language to articulate the thoughts that were in my head, which is true. Like I, I had a hard time in school. Like I was out of place. Um, I was restless. I got bored and I, I never quite felt like I was in the right element until I got into art school and started like kind of making things and like I had challenges to keep my mind busy. And, um, so I, I think I kind of leaned on that for a long time. I was like, well, I don't really have to like try to make an effort to be socially well adapted because I'm an artist, right? Like it's People fine. expect artists to not be yeah. socially adapted or definitely socially awkward so yeah, you gotta, gonna, you're like i'm gonna embrace that right i just lean into it yeah. like this is no problem but then like when i got put into the classroom it's like oh no like you, <laughs> you can't either that or you know you're you're like okay well you're you're showing at the gallery tonight you have to you know you have yeah. to talk to people you have to put on a good face and you know talk about your artist statement or your yeah yeah I, well i i think like if anything like it's helped me like settle into myself like as just a person and as thinking in a different way, like where if I was just in the studio that whole time, I probably would have just become like the weirdest person possibly. <laughs> You'd see me in the street and just be like, uh, like, but you would have made some really cool art. 
Yeah, like well, it's it's. I think it's a, a balance, like trying to you know figure out how to function and how to organize yourself, and like even just thinking about like the stuff that I get to learn in the studio and through my own practices and how I can relay that back and how um, I can work with the students and they can teach me simultaneously. It, it's it's a it's a nice cycle, like being able to pull from that and and get to meet so many people too. And so it, it I think it's there can be a good balance there of like instruction research not too much time in the studio actual time interacting with humans again and trying to to help them along too so it, there's like many many rewards to all those things together that's yeah, good to hear i only did one stint as a ta and i loved it i still i mean i ran into some of some of my students the other day and they're still showing me their work and I'm, I'm you know they do some amazing stuff I mean I've learned a lot in that class from them and their process yeah so. I mean getting to have an impact and like seeing that down the road especially when you get to circle back and see like what people you've worked with are doing it's it's kind of amazing to see even if like you've played just a small role because I usually work with students like pretty briefly it's just like one stepping stone in their education but getting to follow them online, especially now, and see like where they're going, what they're doing, um, and knowing that you're involved in that process is pretty amazing sometimes, just to kind of, it, it can be a lot of work, like teaching, especially right now, like post uh, what we had to do with the virtual and hybrid learning and all, like it was quite an experience. Um, and I can't say that that was the most positive experience, but coming out of that, I think like there's a, that's also like part of reassessing like where I want to be and what I want to do, like was not just working at the computer in the studio, but also in life being at a computer, talking to a screen, recording everything and doing like that, I think has realigned like a lot of things for me that are like, what priorities do I have? Where do I want to be? How enthused am I to be back here with people and to be working in these spaces, even if we're still working at computers? Like, so it's, it's been an interesting last few years because that's really been my like tenure as a, a full-time educator before that I just was teaching part-time like a little bit but I just happened to jump in at the right time where everything went a little bit more intriguing and so yeah wow so when the students came back all you saw was their eyes right you still had the mask yeah yeah that, well when we came in we we came in right during the height of COVID and uh, luckily we there was you know on-ground classes but we had to do a lot of hybrid learning I just, I can't imagine going through the program without the community of, of people that we have to interact with on a daily basis. If I had to do it all online, I'd, you know, it, it, uh, I don't think it would have worked for me. Yeah. You, you lose a lot. I think there's, there's some things that one can learn pretty easily at a distance or, you know, synchronously, asynchronously, all these different methodologies. Like I've seen it and there are certain things that just don't translate if you can't actually, you know, pick up somebody's brush or grab their mouse or be able to talk with them, like, and look them in the eye and say something or be able to critique somebody's work in person or experience it in person. And, you know, being able to have that, like, but, you know, there are other cool things that I think have come out of it of, for me, even of access to other information that I, I wouldn't have had access to before. So ways that I can learn from this too is, you know, something that I think is interesting of just the resources that we have keep growing, I think, because we were so forced to like gather everything and put it online and think about structure. So 
It was a positive there. There definitely was some. And just knowing that you can just jump online and collaborate with somebody that's, you know, on the other side of the planet. And yeah. it feels natural now because we've been doing it through Zoom where, you know, two or three years ago, it would have been like, yeah, yeah. it would have been very awkward. I have another thing that I would like to say. So when I was talking about the people that I used to work with, there was kind of the creative people that were sketching kind of, you know, models, physical models. And then there's also the people that are always stuck in the computer. And I appreciate that you kind of made your own lane and you've cre created, you know, a couple of bodies of work or several bodies of work that, you know, straddle that line between physical and digital. Uh, so I, I appreciate that. Most of the people that I work with, I think once you get into the profession, it's mainly computers. So my clique of people that I worked with in school, I was more on the hands-on, you know, um, physical side of things, but I, yeah. I appreciate that about you. So, and I think it's also maybe helpful that you started out as a painter and then integrated your the technology into it as opposed to the other way around. I'm coming at it from the opposite way. I started as an undergrad in graphic design. We did everything by hand, you know, for a couple of years, but then it was all computer. And then I spent the next 15 to 20 years on the computer. And I had the same epiphany where I was like, I need to get away from this box and go outside and draw something and paint something. And then I went the opposite direction where I was doing a lot of um, commissioned portraits and figurative work. And now I'm just starting to pull the technology back in a little bit. I think, at least for me, it probably would have been easier the other way if I'd had the fine arts background first. It's it's a good starting point. It's a good foundation, I think. Like, it's just like, to me, I like I thought a bit at times, like, what if I started like with technology and that was kind of where things go? Because I've been so in between like different things at different points in my career that are like, do you want to do this or do you want to do that? Or, you know, what do you, how do you categorize yourself or your work or what it is? Cause I keep wanting to change it just out of boredom or necessity or restlessness or whatever. And, um, I think having like that core grounding, like where I started and knowing like, this is where it began, even if that's not exactly what I do at a certain point in time, like helps me to figure out alignment with just where things need to go. But I, I'd see like, this happened like often too, like the older I get, the more I see like these weird shifts where like, even if we're like working in a certain way, it might be with hands or with computers. Like it's so easy to get tired of it because we get boxed into like this routine of making it a certain way. And then all of a sudden it might be like, all right, I want to go bake bread or, you know, go, you know, ride a canoe somewhere. What, you know, you find like some out that's like, I, I've been like kind of pining to, um, get a wheel and like throw some ceramics. Like I, you know, I think about like I buy a 3d printer and like 3d print some stuff, or I could get my hands on some clay and the clay just seems like so much more appealing right now. Just something tactile, something that like is away from the screens and like has it's messy. Yeah. Just like, get in there. And it's not even like to make anything good. It's just like the idea of having these activities or practices or things like, um, and not, and I used to spend all this time thinking like, all right, how do you situate that in my studio practice? How does, how do I write this off? It's like, I want to do this and this fits into the work. And it's like, oh, why don't you just do it for fun? Like, you just got to keep the clay away from those high end computers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
it's it's i think it's good like having those hobbies and not feeling like because I'm trying to relinquish that control where it's like work, 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 work. Like you have to make it all about the work and you're not leaving enough. Even like I did that for a long time with travel. Like the only way for me to travel had to be work related or for family. But like the idea of just going somewhere because you wanted to go somewhere was like I didn't I didn't leave that space for myself because I was so committed to my own designs. And I, I think that was I think there was a mistake there for me of not leaving enough room and I still have time. So it's not like, but you're aware of it. Yeah. So you're like shifting it, it, it to took some space. time to like see it and realize like, you know, that's, that's maybe not like the grind culture idea and like workaholism and all these things that I think are easy to slide into when you think about like success and trying to get somewhere and, you know, do something, especially with your own work, because that's like your work, you know, it's your business, it's your right. stuff. And it's, it's very easy, I think, to fall into a trap where like you don't like doing the work and you look back and think like, why am I making this stuff? Like I started off with this, like I never chose going into the arts for the money. Right. Like that's, there's no way, like wouldn't have chosen painting. Man, I got the wrong memo. I mean, it's, it's definitely out there. It's, I know it's a, a, a strange, like there's, there's the definitely possibility of doing like all kinds of things. But like if I had of, started off with that intent like it would have been something else uh and so but it's easy to like flip your attitude over with that and be like money like i have to make the money i have to pay the bills i have to do this i have to keep it going i got to get more followers i got to keep momentum like i got a bump like i gotta do these things like and then you get like caught in this trap that's like this easy i think to get sucked into it and and i don't know if it's like capitalism or you know what i like i think i think there's ways to do it healthily and constructively but it's hard to find those models we, well get a wheel that's it just <laughs> yeah, get, get, the wheel. get dirty go in there get the wheel not the hamster wheel you need the yeah i'm not i'm not going to take any photos or video or time lapse of it or try to put it <laughs> out online right. it's just for me only i think covid gave a lot of people a lot of people that i know kind of a, a little chance to step back and go what am i doing with my life mm-hmm. you know or you know maybe it's not that profound but at least looking at maybe what the important things that were being put to the side, you know, even if it was just, well, here you can, you can go jump in a canoe and go, you know, down the marsh and be outside or go to the beach or, you know, maybe if it's not even just in nature, you can go downtown and look at architecture or whatever. Or Uh, like even like appreciating certain like privileges or things that you might not have seen before or things that were taken for granted just because we were like boxed in or, you know, for some, like just the idea of like your own health and like having that and maintaining it or your impact on other people just because you had the impending threat of you making somebody else sick and having to abide by these rules to try to prevent that from happening. And it's weird to like come out of these things and then think like, okay, are we like back to where we were or did we learn some things or like as things keep like changing and growing? Like I feel like I haven't fully processed my experience, but I'm forced to keep like moving forward with life and things. And it, I think that's where like the impetus to like take time is coming to like, like no, I just want to like slow down. It'll and, morph into something else. Yeah. Um, but it'll be informed by a place, you know, you don't want to go back to and, you know, I'm sure realized that they're, you know, like you said, you got to stop, slow down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Onwards and upwards, we hope. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of onwards and upwards, 
guess this is a good spot to, to stop. Where can everybody find you? Uh, so I'm, I, my, my, I have What's your address. No, I have, <laughs> yeah. Where, where can they actually find you? Uh, What's you'll, your social media? You'll profile? find me, uh, out in the yard, raking leaves or <laughs> spinning pottery. I, so I have a website and it's willpenny.com. Uh, the place that I update my work the most is on Instagram and it's at Will Pennyard. That's usually where I put like in process stuff for like, you know, video reels behind the scenes. So I try to be most proactive with sharing things there. Uh, and then in Savannah, I'm represented by Laney Contemporary and we have an exhibition coming up, um, in January, I think. So we're confirming the dates, but I think it should be January 24. I'm trying to work on um, new work for an exhibition that should be up at the Great. start of next year. Awesome. Yeah, we'd love to circle back with you and and maybe have another conversation when you have a little bit of downtime. Maybe talk about the show that that's coming up, and um, you know, just touch base and see where you are. Oh yeah, I'm hoping by end of the year there will be stacks and stacks of new things because I'm trying to just now get into the show coming up attitude and work on you know building some new things. So. So it's a different mindset once we start approaching those deadlines. Sorry, get your sleep now. Yeah. Right. Well, thanks for letting us spend some time with you and learning about your what you're up to. Yeah, yeah appreciate thank it. you. Thank, thank you, Will. You. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for having me. Right. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to have anybody interviewed or if you have any questions or comments, please hit us up on Instagram at the10frame.